There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Political Party Daily. At the start of this second week of a special daily election series on Monday the 18th of November, where I'm joined by Luciana Berger, the former Labour MP for Liverpool Wavertree, and in this election, the Lib Dem candidate for Finchley Golders Green. I began by asking Luciana what it was like having fought three elections for the Labour Party to be standing for the Lib Dems for the first time. How does it feel to be standing for election as a Lib Dem? I, I was, it's just great to be out of the doorstep, great to be campaigning for something that I believe in, great to have a very clear position on the greatest issue facing our country on Brexit, great to be part of a party that is so warm and welcoming and lives and breathes its values. So I'm finding it really refreshing and very positive. Is there any part of you that as a, as a someone who's you know steeped in Labour values, that st- does it feel, still feel weird? Do you find yourself sometimes saying I'm your local Labour, sorry, Lib Dem candidate or anything like that? Uh, I think it happened all once. You know, you, you've been a part of a party for 20 years as I was in the Labour Party, nine years in Parliament. You know, Of course, there's going to be a transition. And it certainly wasn't a decision that I took lightly. It was one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make. And as you rightly point out, the Labour Party is part of my DNA. It was part of my family's proud history. But politics doesn't stand still. And parties don't stand still. And you hope that they evolve for the better. But if they betray the very values that led you to join them in the first place, then it's not what you joined. And if you want to continue making a difference to our country in the national interest, then you have to go to that place that best represents what you believe and stand for and that can make a difference, particularly at this juncture when we meet today. It's you know the election in just over a three weeks time. And it's one of the most serious elections, if not the most serious election in my lifetime. It's such a big election. And, and in terms of your seat that, you, that you're going for in Finching Golders Green, two snapshots, really, that, that have captured the public imagination. The, the first poll out in October, which... And the Lib Dems finished third in the last general election just two years ago, put you uh, put the Lib Dems in Finching Golders Green on 41%, with a, a 34% <laughs> swing towards you. It was incredible. Uh, and the Tories second on 29. And then one out this weekend, where the Conservatives are, are top on 46 and the Lib Dems second on 32. But still, Labour are, are on 19. I mean, just in terms of your personal experience out on the doorstep... Does one correlate more than the other? Do you do you sense when you're out knocking on doors in Finching Golders Green that maybe the Lib Dems are doing well, that you're doing well there, but maybe you're not ahead or you are ahead? So the first thing to say is that we've picked up 25% uh, of the vote since 2017, and that's just in the last few weeks. I was only named as a candidate um, at the start of October. So it's an incredible amount of progress in a very, very short space of time. And um, What both polls show and confirm as we are hearing every single doorstep that we're on is that the Labour vote has collapsed. Labour vote has collapsed in Finchley and Golders Green like it's collapsing across the country for two key reasons. One is on Brexit, where the Labour Party doesn't take a position. And the other is on the issue of anti-Semitism. And it's not just the Jewish community that's concerned about anti-Jewish hatred within the Labour Party. It's the neighbours 
of the Jewish community in Finchley and Golders Green. So that's no surprise. And in fact, the most recent poll shows that support for Labour is even less than it was at the start of October. Um, but again, you know, polls are polls. They're, they're moments in time. Um, the poll that was done at the start of October was before the general election was called. The one that was done and that was published in The Observer yesterday was done last week when we're in the midst of the general election. And you expect ebbs and flows during any election period. And um, All I can say is that we're getting a really, really positive response. And we, we struggle to find people that are passionate about voting for either the Labour Party or the Conservatives on the doorstep. And, and actually... You know, what is very striking is that people are very, very prepared to listen to what I've got to say, want to give us a go. Whether they're concerned first and foremost, I think the, the kind of the two motivating factors that we that we find on on most doorsteps, one's around Brexit, um, and on that, you know, I offer something very distinct from the current MP who's uh, most recently served as a whip in Boris Johnson's government. He's been delivering Brexit on behalf of the Prime Minister. Um, in what is a very, very staunchly Remain constituency. It was almost 70% in 2016 that voted to Remain. So for those people that want a Remain uh, MP, I certainly have that track, track record. I'm backed by the I'm one of the Unite to Remain MPs. So the Green Party has stood aside in Finchley and Golders Green. And so on that front, I'm clearly the person to support. And I think this poll will be helpful within the constituency last week to show people that it very much is a two-horse race between myself and, and the Conservative candidate. There are other people... And this will also have influenced the polling last week that don't want Jeremy Corbyn in number 10 for lots of different reasons. And whether it's Brexit or anti-Semitism or national security or the economy, you know, some people's overriding motivating factor is they don't want Jeremy Corbyn there. So for those people, again, they can vote with confidence to know that the Labour vote has collapsed and, and that will be quite helpful to us over the coming three and a half weeks. There's going to be so much focus on Finch and Golders Green. You know, when you think of... A totemic election results. You think Portillo in 97, uh, Ed Balls when he lost his seat in 2010, um, Mandelson almost in Hartlepool in 2001. There are snapshots of the night that become, the st- in a way, bigger than the seats around them. It feels as if, though, not just the national media, the world's media is going to be, you know, when you're at that count on election night, the focus on that scene particular and on you, I mean, do you feel that already? Do you feel, in a way, it's taken on a symbolic nature, Finchley and Golders Green in this election? I mean, we certainly have had more than our fair share of interest and journalists coming, not just from, you know, not just domestic journalists and whether that's broadcast outlets or print media, but also from across the world. So we've had uh, many people make requests and actually we just can't accommodate them all because our priority, my priority certainly has to be getting out on the doorstep, meeting voters particularly in such a short campaign. So yeah, there's certainly a lot of interest. And you know, what, we're, what we're trying to do here is also you know, some people say is is it's trying to do the unachievable. I mean, it would be one of the largest swings in parliamentary history. So, you know, it's it's certainly a, a massive, massive challenge, but I have every confidence and faith. I mean, we had yesterday, I don't know the exact numbers, but over 50 people out on the doorstep. And we've got people joining the campaign every day. I mean, over the course of the week, I think we've docked on over 6,000 doors. Um, and so, you know, we're aiming to, to break that record this week. And I'm just so delighted by the people that have joined us. And if people want to remain MP, if they want to change the parliamentary mass, then... Um, they have to come and join us. You said something when you joined the Lib Dems about the intersection in the Labour Party between anti-Semitism and misogyny, and that when you, you know at that place, it's it's more than just the two added together. There's this exponential uh, amount of abuse that you personally suffered. 
I mean, do you feel in this campaign that, in a way, you're, you're carrying... It's not just about the Lib Dems, it's not just about Brexit, but that you embody so many different values that you yourself, in a way, carry the hopes and dreams of so many different communities, of, of women in politics, of Jewish people, of, of Remainers, of people who don't want the Tories or the Lib Dems. In a way, you're sort of... Tory or Labour, you mean? Tory or Labour, sorry, <laughs> yes. Yeah, 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 Tory or Labour. That, in a way, you're, you're, you're more than just a Lib Dem candidate. You know, I think I think I, I represent different things to different people, and there's certainly you know when I'm out on the doorstep meeting constituents, I'm also doing a, a whole host of what's called Luciana in your lounge events. I'm meeting lots of different people in lots of different wards. Sounds like a jazz evening. <laughs> it's just something different, particularly as we're in the, in the darkest, uh, we're approaching the darkest depths of winter. It's a yeah. way to have you know um, really high quality discussions and engagement with voters more than perhaps what you get on a shivery doorstep, <laughs> or, you know, on a, on a late, on you know, dark in the night. So. Um, you know, through all those conversations, it's clear, for, you know, for many people that, um, particularly, I mean, you you, t- you you touch on the issue about women in politics, and it is really sad to have seen um, female MPs from all sides decide that they're not going to run again mm. at this election. And we've heard from their own experience, um, and I have every sympathy with their decision. They're not standing again because of some of the abuse that they face. And I'm not going to pretend it's easy or that it's been jolly all the way through because it hasn't. Um, for as long as I can continue doing it, I certainly will. But, um, you know, for, for, it's certainly come up in so many conversations where people are devastated that we've lost really good women that you know, just won't do it again at this election. So um, on behalf of those that can, I'm delighted to be putting myself forward. Just in terms of your career in, in Parliament, you've only been an MP for nine years, quite a, a, a decent amount of time, I suppose. But in terms of the abuse you started receiving... Was there a particular time when it started to get worse? So from, from 2010 onwards, when you first come into Parliament, you will have, I'm sure, got abuse online and stuff, but d- is, there a, is there a point at which it accelerates or has it just been a constant? I mean, it, it's, it, when I first stood for selection and then election in 2009-10, I had at that time what Douglas Alexander, a former Labour MP who was... Labour's then general election coordinator, he said that I had the worst campaign of any Labour candidate in the country in that election. It was particularly challenging because it was, um, interestingly, then a target seat for the Lib Dems, but it got a lot of national interest and it brought some uh, external characters and forces um, which were not to do with the Lib Dems, but it just it had a, a quite an ugly tone. And that was kind of my first experience of what was very, very nasty. I was chased around the constituency. I had people going through my bins. I had long lens photographers. You know, taking so who's doing that? The media? No, I, there was a lot of media that they indulged in that unfortunate activity in 2010. We had people pose as volunteers to get into the office from Sunday newspapers. And why do you think you attracted that in 2010? What was it? Um, well, it was it was a target seat in the northwest of England. It was a marginal seat. It was probably the, the marginal seat for the northwest. It, it was where Nick Clegg came to when he launched his election campaign. It was uh, the one of his last stops before, or in fact, on the eve of the election. It just attracted a lot of attention. Okay. And at the time, I was twenty eight. Uh, I was oh, uh, one of the one of a few like um, candidates in their twenties. Uh, I think the combination of those different factors, you know, a younger woman. Uh, there was lots of controversy because I was originally from London and even though I knew Liverpool and I'd spent time there, you know, um, it was in people's interest to paint me as someone who you know, had never been north of Watford. And, yes. Uh, there's there's a, just a lot of attention at the time. So, you know, I've, I've had my fair share of experiences. It certainly started as a candidate back then. 
but you just soldier on. Um, I suppose to answer your question, when did it start to get worse? It's, I saw my first conviction of someone um, who had um, directed anti-Semitic abuse at me. That happened in 2013. Um, and since then, I've seen a, a further five people convicted for the abuse that they've directed towards me. Um, and I've certainly seen like volumes and volumes of stuff online, which might not meet the criminal threshold or often sometimes does meet the criminal threshold, but the police aren't able to identify who's sending it. And um, so we just can't hold them to account because people use cre uh, very clever encryption or other platforms to um, send that kind of abuse. So it started in 2013. I had a particularly awful period in 2014 where someone was sent to prison for um, sending me stuff on social media that said that Hitler was right. They'd um, superimposed styles of David on my forehead. They went to prison, but that initiated a, a worldwide campaign um, uh, by an international website, which used the hashtag um, Free Garen Helm, who was the person who was convicted, um, and also used the hashtag Filthy Jew Bitch. Um, and that was attached to thousands of messages. And that was pretty awful. Um 2015-2016 I saw you know a further conviction um, and then in the last two years it's got particularly bad and the level of toxicity and the volume of stuff last year in particular we, we haven't concluded this year but I've never seen anything like it in terms of what I saw last year. I mean how do you cope with that stuff? Um, so I, I've done my very best to protect myself from it by switching off notifications. I used to have notifications on my phone for social media. I don't do that anymore. Um, I dip in, but I certainly don't you know, scroll through an entire timeline. It's not just Twitter. It's come through Facebook, um, through email. Um, my staff get phone calls. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, because I happen to be pretty resilient, it's really important to speak out about it. I will always use... Um, the laws that we have in this country to hold people to account. So I've given evidence in court, which has then um, seen and resulted in a conviction. I won't hesitate to report things. I'm very fortunate to have a wonderful family and, and fantastic team that make sure that we do everything possible to you know, minimise the stuff that, um, that gets seen. We just carry on, really. But it's sinister in the extreme. I mean, you see people get abused online all the time and none of it's OK. But the stuff you get in particular... It's really, it's really cold stuff. It's, it's really off the scale. Holocaust denial, as you say, that the pictures people mock up of you and stuff. I mean, it, 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 it scares me seeing the stuff you get. I mean, I, I, I just cannot imagine the, the reserves of strength that you have in order to deal with it in terms of worrying about your personal safety. Um, yes, and, and you know, I say yes because it's, um, it's anyone that's, um, particularly in public life, unfortunately, we all have had to take... Um, special measures to think a lot more about how we you know how we conduct our daily lives you know we don't promote where we are in advance we only say where we've been after you know, where it is that we've we've been together um you know we do have to do things differently um but on behalf of you know i've i've been in court and heard the victim impact statements of people who themselves have been very severely impacted by people that perpetrate these these hate crimes and that's what they are they are hate crimes and having listened to those testimonies where people have shared, well, they haven't had the confidence or the ability to give evidence themselves because it's had such an impact on their ability to go to work or to maintain relationships with their family and friends, or it's had a very severe impact on their mental health. And while I have the resilience, you know, I will certainly do everything within my power to challenge it. Again, I also acknowledge the fact that I get more than most because of the fact that I've you know, uh, been a member of parliament. 
Um, but on their behalf, we just have to keep challenging this stuff and hold people to account. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. In terms of anti-Semitism on the left, you know, to, to so many people <clears throat> who are maybe broadly politically interested, they'd always seen it as a kind of far-right thing. And the last few years have been a real education for people in seeing the other places where anti-Semitism exists and the different forms it takes. Mm. And your relationship with <clears throat> the Labour Party and, and Labour members. Did you notice an increase in anti-Semitism in the Labour Party at a particular time? Yes, I mean, it's happened since 2015. It's happened since people who previously were banned from being in the Labour Party were welcomed back with open arms. People who were in the SWP, the Socialist Worker Party history books or the militant history books, now sat in meetings across the country. uh, And they come from a a particular uh, political persuasion that um, allows this kind of abuse and this kind of racism. And when you started receiving anti-Semitic abuse from Labour supporters and Labour members, did Jeremy Corbyn ever pick up the phone and and counsel you or, or offer any support? The last time that I spoke to Jeremy Corbyn about anything but including this issue was in the winter of 2017 i'm not sure the exact month it was either november or december and was he was he helpful was he concerned was he sympathetic he didn't want to talk about it he wanted to talk about anything or anything but that issue and i was trying to be very helpful to raise my concerns at that time about the issue of facebook groups that in his name were um, espousing, you know, there was, I mean, it's been well documented. There's been many articles that have exposed and um, have got the screenshots of what has been shared in these private and closed groups. Um, I knew about it before it came to the fore and I was strongly advising that you know, everything should be done in the Labour Party's power to, at the very least, stop people using Jeremy Corbyn's um, picture as the image for the name of that group, um, to stop using his name in that group, because whether he liked it or not, it was being done in his name. And there were comments that he'd left on uh, on a Facebook group about the, the mural in, in, in East London, where he'd said the, the artist was in good company, um, that raised concerns that it was your sharing of that image, actually, that, that led to the pressure that um, forced him to comment about it. I mean... Do, in terms of your dealings with him, and it sounds like there were fairly few, actually, um, did you get the sense that he took the issue seriously? Do you think he is anti-Semitic himself? I mean, what's your assessment of where he is? I mean, it wasn't just me. There was many others that have sought to bring this to his attention and to try and contend with this issue for a number of years. And it's highly regrettable that we find ourselves in the situation where today the Labour Party is being investigated by the Equalities and Human Rights Commission. You know, the threshold to initiate that process, the bar is so high. 
you know, it's only been done on a few occasions before, um, the investigation that was done into the BMP. I mean, what company does the Labour Party find itself in that it's now subject to the same investigationary process that the BMP was subject to? Um, anyone that saw the Panorama programme to hear firsthand from people that worked inside the Labour Party that were uh, witness to these countless examples of Labour Party members across the country indulging and engaging in anti-Semitic activity and for the response to that programme to have been to malign the very whistleblowers who um, took you know, great strength to even come forward. I mean, I commend them all, but uh, this is you know a very sorry tale. And I, I, I cannot believe that we're discussing today a party that... It was because of the values of equality for all and anti-racism against all that led me to join it. And that is what it's portraying today. And it's just a shell of what it of what it once was. And, but in terms of him, do you think he just saw you as a kind of Blairite plotter and didn't take it seriously? Do you think he realised you were genuinely getting abuse and was sorry? Do you think people around him have said, look, you can't show any weakness on this? I mean, where do you think he's at in terms of it? I, I can't answer that question. I, I don't know. Um, all I can tell you is, you know, one of the most devastating moments for me was uh, last uh, September when it was brought to my attention uh, because of some work that LBC Radio had done that the Labour Party had been notified of a physical threat that was made against me on social media by a Labour Party member. And the Labour Party didn't disclose that to either myself or the police, and it was in the press in September and it found itself onto the front pages of the Saturday Times. I certainly didn't want to find myself on the front pages of the Saturday Times because someone had made a physical threat against me. And for, you know, there, there is no good reason why anyone who had been witness to that kind of threat, um, why they would have withheld that information, and it's, it's appalling. Uh, that's incredible they wouldn't have let you know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in terms of then your decision to, to leave the Labour Party, I'm sure there's sort of many incremental steps along the way to um, the start of the sort of abuse you were getting from then Labour members and supporters to then find it. What was the final straw for you in terms of needing to leave? There were many final straws. And it does, you know, it takes, you know, as I said, you know, you're part of something, you're part of a tribe, you're part of a team, you're part of a group for 20 years to even contemplate leaving it when you've also got you know you've got that family connection that heritage you know it's something you've never even considered and then to even have to kind of go through that thought process is incredibly difficult there were many moments i can point to but probably the one for me in particular was attending a local party meeting in liverpool last october at the end of which i vowed to myself i would never go back Uh, and that was off the back of um some uh, a question being asked where uh People said, you know, we hear about this kind of supposed anti-Semitism. And will you tonight confirm that you are committed to campaigning for a, a Labour government with Jeremy Corbyn as Prime Minister? Um, I went on to detail how, in spite of all the challenges that I'd faced, and, and that meeting came in the wake of that Saturday Times front page um, and the threats that had been made towards me, that I still was absolutely committed to the values that led me to get into politics in the first place, social justice, equality for all. Um, that was what I was living and breathing and doing seven days a week to a job that I was wholly committed to um, for the very reasons that I put myself forward in the first place. I went on to detail some additional threats that I and my team had been subject to. And in fact, very just, just before that meeting, there'd been a letter hand-delivered to my office that said that it was from supporters of Jeremy Corbyn. 
I have no idea if they were, if they weren't supporters of Jeremy Corbyn, but the letter detailed how I would have acid thrown on me, how I would be um, uh, stabbed. I mean, it was pretty graphic and awful. And I said, even in spite of that, I'm absolutely committed to my job and campaigning for those values that we all hold dear. But I didn't say I was committed to campaigning for Jeremy Corbyn as Prime Minister. And in the wake of sharing, you know, what was a 15-minute um, contribution, you know, in great detail of what not just me but my, what my team had been subject to, I was met with a, a stony cold silence. Um, and I just, you know, other than some support from a very small number of people in the room, and I and I just kind of reflected on that, and just said that you know thought that you know there was just no humanity in that room. And did you say that to them? No, I, I, I was pregnant at the time and I actually had to leave to go for a, um, a medical appointment. But I left, I'd, kind of, I, my, I'd given my contribution at the front, my bags and everything were at the back of the room. I walked down the middle of the room, it was actually set up like a wedding. And um, I think for, 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 cause it was, we, we met in a hotel and it was often a room used for weddings. Yeah. Uh, and I just looked around the room and I thought there is just no humanity here. You know, unless you can... Um, give your wholehearted, pure, and under, unadulterated support for Jeremy Corbyn. Then, you know, the, the broad church that I joined, that was the Labour Party, that brought people together of all different traditions, social democrats, socialists. It was a space for everyone. That just was no longer the case, and I just felt I could no longer be a part of it. And in terms of the people in the room, were they people that were long-standing members that had? Uh, they were there in 2010 when you first became the candidate and these are friends of yours that then have kind of incrementally got more left wing and they really want a Labour government or were these people that actually it, it, when you sit there and look around the room you go oh, these people weren't here five years ago this is a, to- this is a different local party well, I actually made that point in the contribution that I made at that meeting because uh, I said that you know I said that I was still very much uh, absolutely committed to the values that led me to put myself forward for selection in this constituency but I made the point at that meeting that I appreciated that most people in the room weren't part of that process uh, there was literally maybe like five people in the room that had been part um, of the process to select me as the candidate so it was all new people and it was people that had come in post 2015 that were, you know, were very different I, mean, I was very proud of the work that I'd done previously to grow my local party membership from 200 to 800 that's huge yes and yeah. at a time when it's very hard to recruit people to the Labour Party in those years. Yeah, so between 2010 and 2015, and it was a, it was a really fantastic <coughs> local party to be a part of. It was um, the, the camaraderie, we socialised together, we went out, we were friends. And over the years from 2015, people just dwindled away that were part of that initial growth, and, and it was a whole new membership. And just in terms of that 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 meeting and looking around that room, what what is the emotion driving those people is it just that they really want a left-wing government and in a way you're in a way you're in the way of that you're kind of preventing their their dream of seeing a, a Corbyn government that would deliver the things they want do they are they suspicious do they not trust do they not believe what you've been through so when you're outlining this awful abuse is it that they they don't believe it or they see it as a price worth paying to get you know a socialist utopia I mean what what do you think their mindset is Again, I mean, you're asking me to try and yes, I do. I appreciate of people that. that I know views of which I don't share. So, I mean, it, it very much feels like this kind of it feels like a cult almost, you know, on occasion where unless you can have this purest uh, support for the leadership, then then you are you are not a part of the team, basically. So then you you set up the independent group for change, and I remember watching that live, and 
as someone who just enjoys following politics anyway, found it hugely hopeful. And I just thought, as someone who, you know, my politics are no secret, who's a Remainer, who's socially liberal, who's around the centre-left, someone who'd shared, you know, been really frustrated at the direction of the Labour Party uh, and the direction of the Conservative Party, to see people who, in my view, in ordinary weather, would have been prominent, far more prominent than the, the party was allowing them to be, break out and do something. You know, when so many of us have gone, well, something's got to change, and the polling says the public don't like either of these parties, and then it looks like something is. Um, I mean, that day must have been, comp- you know, very exciting. I mean, j- just reflecting on it, how many other people do you think could have potentially gone with you at that point and held back? Lots. I mean, what sort of numbers are we talking, do you think? I'm not going to tell you a number, <laughs> but there were certainly more of people that were um, that was considering leaving both of the main parties. And there's no surprise that they were considering doing that because, you know, as, as we've seen, you know, both parties hijacked by the extremes. You know, the Conservative Party, in my view, that's the Brexit Party in all but name, and the Labour Party that's gravitated towards the, heart, you know, the far left. So there's no surprise that people feel... That you know they're part of parties today that don't reflect the values that led them to get involved in politics and put themselves forward for public office in the first place. But at that point on launch day, everyone goes, "Oh my God, this is it!" And then you think, "Well, there's going to be a drip, drip." And then, and then Heidi Allen and Anna Subri and Sarah Wollaston join. You think, "Well, this is it. This is now a cross-party thing. This is the mm-hmm. centre ground of British politics." And then it, it it kind of stalled at that point. Why why wasn't it successful? Well, there's there's many different things that we can point to. Um, <laughs> Just by way, you know, I had, I had a different experience to some of my colleagues because two weeks and one day after I left the Labour Party, I had a baby. So yeah. I was I was a slightly removed. Um, I was at home looking after a newborn. So I did my very best to play my part, but it wasn't in the same way as my other colleagues who were there all of the time. And um, but but events, you know, events, dear boy, uh, that, <laughs> that, that presented themselves in terms of you know what happened at that moment. So when we left our parties, we joined a group. And our, the intention of our group was to go out to the country and see what appetite there might be for a new party. Yeah. Those plans got stymied because we then had the European election that no one was perhaps ex- anticipating when we when we left our parties. And just before that, we also had the council elections. So looking at the council election results, Lib Dems um, you know, did really well and picked up, I think it was over 700 seats across the country. Uh, and then there was a decision to be made about the European elections. And as I said, you know, when I left, everyone said, oh, you joined a party or, you know, I didn't. I joined a group, the intention of which was to see what appetite there might be for a new party. And um, we were due to do that across, you know, over the whole summer and go out and listen to what people thought and felt. But that European election then presented itself. And then the majority view at that time, and I would always go with the majority view, but it, it's well documented. It wasn't my view, but the majority view was to create a party to compete or to contest um, uh, those European elections. And then the decision was taken not just to contest those elections, but to contest them in every single region across the country with a full slate of candidates, which you know, at the moment you become another political party, you're held to the same bar as existing political parties. And doing that without the infrastructure and resource of the other political parties is an enormous challenge, particularly when you're trying to do it in a very short space of time. So, you know, what became Change UK was already at a massive disadvantage compared to other political parties. And then you look at the outcome of of that European election and it was clear that the country said that, you know, we want to get behind the Lib Dems because they are an existing force. As I said, parties evolve, you know, in terms of what the offer was. You know, who would have um, thought that 
the Liberal Democrats would have beat both the Labour Party and the Conservative Party right across the country in those elections. Now, in some parts of the country, the Brexit Party won. But in London, for example, the Liberal Democrats topped the poll uh, in Finchley and Golders Green uh, in every single ward beating the Conservatives two to one, Labour three stroke, four to one. So it was certainly a moment at which you know, it already showed that the country did want something other than those two main parties, but it wasn't something else. It was what was already existing, and that was um, what happened within the Liberal Democrats. You know, at the same time, you had the leadership election that then um, took place within the Liberal Democrats. Um, I was looking at that very, very closely, and Joseph Swinson went on to win it, which I think was really, really, really positive. Um, but in answer to your question, if you just just replay your question, because oh you, crikey, you, uh, did I answer your question? I think you did. Yeah, yeah. it was about um, it was something about the independent group. I was I was already thinking about what I was going to ask you next, which was then at what point do you start looking at the Lib Dems as a, a as an option to join? And did you worry? Think oh well, I've already left one party. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, kind of. That mindset is very much what we expect in a two-party system, but we've certainly seen how our politics have evolved, has evolved in just the last few years alone. You know, the traditional two parties are failing because they themselves have gravitated towards the extremes, but also our politics has changed at the same time. And whereas, you know, traditionally we were fighting our politics on that left-right axis, today it's on the open-closed axis. And in some ways, you know, both the Labour Party and the Conservatives don't adequately respond to that question. Um, so, you know, in the Liberal Democrats, it's very, it's very clear what we stand for. You know, we are the party that is advocating for that open, liberal, tolerant, progressive society. And in addition to which, at this moment in time, you know, it says it on the tin: liberal democracy. We're having to defend something that, when I first got involved in politics, I certainly never thought we'd have to you know, stand up for and defend, which is where we find ourselves you know, today. So for lots of different reasons, again, politics evolves, parties evolve, you know, things don't stand still, you just have to you have to evolve with the times. And do you think the public sit like that? They go, oh, well, I understand why Luciana and Chucker were Labour at a point, then Independent, then Lib Dem, or do you think some people go, well, hang on a minute, you were Labour five minutes ago, then you were another thing, and now you're a Lib Dem. I mean, where are you going to go next? What, where does Luciana go in five years if she doesn't like the Lib Dems? Again, I mean, you just have to um, this kind of uh, this kind of slavish. Uh, you know, this is what we're used to. We're used to kind of you know you have your you have your tribe and that's what you stick to. If the group that you're part of itself evolves and doesn't represent what led you to join it, then you have to be honest and say that. I mean, we can all have nostalgia, but you know, <laughs> you know, when it comes to political parties, but but actually, we have to look at where we find ourselves. You know, contending with the greatest issue of the day on Brexit. You know, you've got two Brexit parties in the Labour Party and the Conservative Party. So if you're a Remainer and if you want to stand up to contest what's going on, then it's not going to be one of those two parties. And just in terms of what it says on the tin, some people say, well, the Liberal Democrats aren't Democrats because they'd they'd revoke Article 50 without without another referendum. So what we've said is, is if we get a majority government, yeah, we will revoke Article 50. And people would expect that because we have been very consistent in our position that we want to stop Brexit, that we want to stop the chaos. And therefore, if we have a majority government, we will have the mandate to do that. I mean, we've been very, we've been very clear and we couldn't be clearer. And if we don't get that majority government, then we will continue to do what the Liberal Democrats have been at the forefront of, and that's arguing and trying to secure that people's vote to take the deal back to the country. And if, I mean, obviously everyone says now there's no deals, there's no coalitions, but in reality, if there's a hung parliament, parties will have to talk to each other. Let's say you get to a position where 
Adjustments has been very clear. She won't put Jeremy Corbyn into Downing Street. But, 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 you know, what, no, what but, if? But, no, but no, what if? No, but, but, but. There's no but, but, but. She said she won't put Jeremy Corbyn into number 10 and she won't put Boris Johnson into number 10. And she means it. And not only does she mean it, but if she didn't mean it, that would be the end of the party. Because you can make a promise once at an election time, like Nick Clegg did in 2010, and break it and just about get away with it. But only just. You can't do that twice in 10 years. Jo Swinson has said it. She will continue to say it. She means it. She's not going to put Jeremy Corbyn or Boris Johnson into number 10. But that doesn't mean she wouldn't necessarily put Labour or the Conservatives into number 10. So what if the condition is, well, Corbyn goes and then Labour have a... Would you still feel comfortable, even if it was a non-Corbyn Labour party somehow, uh, she, I mean, allowing that project to get into She's terms? been asked the question about, would you know, put Jeremy Corbyn or Boris Johnson to number 10? But she she's looked beyond the leaders to talk about policy areas as well so it's not just about individuals she's talked very clearly and consistently and very starkly about the issues with Labour that go beyond the leader uh, whether that's the issue of Brexit uh, you know, we are a party that wants to stop Brexit the Labour Party is not and any just this week we've heard from uh, the man who's bankrolling the Labour Party Len McCluskey to hear that the Labour Party is not a party of Remain a point echoed by Laura Parker senior candidate who's the head of Momentum um, she's also constantly talked about the issue of the economy and uh, you know we've seen the the magic money tree from Jeremy Corbyn's allotment being uh, displayed quite a lot over the course of the past week in particular that bothers Joe uh, and rightly so and um, we've also heard Joe talk about issues around national security that doesn't just apply to Jeremy Corbyn but you know, she's talked in very clear terms about you know, whoever is in Downing Street, one of their first jobs is to write the note to our nuclear submarine fleet to say in the event that our country is attacked, what should they do? Um, it's clear that there's many people whose hands that task shouldn't be in. Uh, and she's also talked about the issue of anti-Semitism. You know, the party still... I think it's still it's, I'm, I'm only sorry we're not going to get the, the findings of the statutory investigation into the Labour Party by the Equalities and Human Rights Commission to find out you know, exactly what's... Um, sanctions they may be facing on the issue of anti-Semitism. Again, that that is an issue that goes beyond Jeremy Corbyn. So she's she's talked about all of those areas. Um, what do you think is going to happen in this election? Do you have a sense of like a prediction nationally? We are, I'm asking this of all the guests. No, of course. Um, ask me after the... No, no, it's a really important question. But we know that many people in this country look to the debates before they make their decision. And obviously, we, you know, we can look at polls that we've seen in the last few weeks, but we are battling to get Jo Swinson to have her her seat that she deserves um, for the primetime debates on uh, Sky are including her. At the moment, the BBC and ITV are not. And that's, a kind of, I think, going to be a critical issue to determine what the outcome of this election might be. So I hope that by the time this is... <laughs> On our airways, um, you know, the right decision will be made on that because it's it's just not fair. It's just not fair that you know the, a voice of a remain voice is not being given a place in that debate uh, in a way that that if we look at precedent, Nick Clegg was back in two thousand and ten. And I think that is something that could determine what the outcome of this election will be. And in terms of the future beyond the election, uh, wh- where do your political ambitions lie? Because you're someone who. You know, for a long time was tipped as potential future Labour leader, potential Prime Minister. You know, you may have had ambitions in in, in that direction. Um, do you think you could be part of a Lib Dem government one day? I'm just focusing on the next three and a half weeks. I mean, I just hope to be returned to Parliament so at least I can continue to be making a difference to our national public life. But if I 
um, you know, and I say it's not just me. If me and the entire team, if you know, if we if we can't quite make it, then you know, who knows what comes next? Well, uh, Luciana, your seat is going to be followed with increasing um, interest and scrutiny. I'm sure. Enjoy the rest of the campaign, and thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Well, there you go, Luciana Berger, what a fantastic guest. And someone not only with amazing personal strength and resilience, but someone who still manages to be so positive and optimistic. And I just find it so worrying that people don't believe... When the evidence is so available that that people have been the victims of such abuse, when people still don't believe it uh, is worrying. And all of us who care about politics should want it to be a place where people can speak their mind without the fear of the sort of abuse that Luciana has had. Um, so we'll all be looking to Finchie and Golders Green uh, on the evening of the 12th of December. Thank you so much for all your amazing uh, stories about... Uh, crises and, and mishaps on the campaign trail keep them coming in to politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com please review the show on itunes share it on all your social media channels and tell your friends and family and i'll see you tomorrow planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 